Welcome to episode 26 of the Sports on Point podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith. And I'm Bob Williams. And I'm the guy pressing the buttons. My name is Pod Severance. Welcome. We have a big show lined up for you this week. Among the many topics we will cover, uh, Carmelo Anthony is working on his exit strategy. Randy Moss doesn't have to. We're talking about sports, American sports, over in Europe. And through five games of the World Series, is it living up to be a interesting World Series or another blah World Series? We'll see in just a little bit. Now on to this week in sports. This is a section where we cover the top shared stories on the internet from every day of the past week. And our host will give a short comment on each of the days, starting off with Wednesday. The NBA draft is moving from New York City to Newark. This from ESPN. What do you think, Matt? It's kind of an odd move. Why would you take something from New York City, the mecca of basketball, and move it to Newark, New Jersey? Were they actually looking to make the NBA draft crappier? Yeah, it is kind of an odd thing, especially since the square is such a, a huge thing in basketball history. I don't know if this is a, a great move by David Stern. And on Thursday, this from Dana White. The WEC and UFC to merge in 2011. Bob? Uh, this is kind of cool for them. One, it gets them under a unified uh, moniker under the UFC, and it actually adds to the stable of fighters, especially some of the uh, welterweight and the uh, uh, featherweight. So I, I think it's going to add more interest in the sport, more names for their pay-per-views. Yeah, it should be interesting to see all the lower weight classes that the WC has to offer showing up in the UFC pay-per-views. Um, the UFC also, of course, with this uh, with this merger, is adding a couple more uh, shows to their versus lineup. So a little bit more exposure for both the lower weight classes and the major weight classes. I think this is a win-win, especially when Dana White says that nobody loses their job over that, and that's always important in this type of economy. On Friday, New York Mets thinking GM Sandy Alderson reinvigorates team. Matt? I think there's only so much the GM can do in this situation. If, if reinvigorating, the, uh, reinvigorating the team means we're going to can everybody on the lineup, go out and get a whole bunch of new players, then maybe he does. But unless that happens, I don't see much of a change happening very fast with this Mets squad. Yeah, you're definitely correct there, Matt. Uh, even though they do have the new GM, it's going to be a time process. They're going to have to sit down, evaluate their players. Overall, <laughs> this is just a funny comment. On Saturday, Minnesota Vikings' Brett Favre expects to start against New England Patriots, says his ankle is much better. Bob? His ankle might be better, but his psyche is not there. Uh, we know that he actually didn't do too well. He got injured again. So at this point, it, it, he definitely should have just sat out. And I think that the Minnesota Vikings are better off just starting Tavares Jackson from here on out. Yeah, I think this is probably the first time in history that anybody will ever say that it's a good idea to start Tavares Jackson, but I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. I, I, I think that there are a lot of the decision that went into Brett Favre's starting this game was the fact that nobody wanted to be the one responsible for ending the longest running streak of an active quarterback, blah, blah, blah. The thing that people need to realize about this whole streak in Brett Favre is that no one cares. His mom does. On Sunday, Oregon Ducks tighten hold of number one in the AP poll. The Auburn Tigers climb to number two in the coaches' poll. Matt? Well, I think uh, Oregon went a long way to solidify their spot as the best team in the country this, uh, this week with a uh, crushing blow uh, taking out USC. 
but uh, ultimately the, the, the merry-go-round that's going on at the top and the different number ones and the different polls, isn't this getting a little too confusing, Bob? No, not at all. <laughs> um, honestly, you can flip-flop either of these teams right now, and I wouldn't have any problem with it. Both of them have gone out week in and week out and dusted their opponents. If, if this does end up the BCS game, you know, in the long run, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even feel the defense and just see how quickly the offenses can score. And on Monday, Minnesota Vikings reportedly waive receiver Randy Moss. We're going to talk about this a little bit uh, later, but Bob, what are some quick thoughts here? Um, shocked. Why would you do this? Yeah, that about sums it up. Um, I think the interesting thing about this is I, I was closely following the NFL.com Twitter account where they posted this, and according to the reports I read, I may have known that Randy Moss got waived before Randy Moss knew that Randy Moss got waived. And that's been our week in sports. We're now going to move on to our To The Point section. This is a section where we have an open format chat and hit the main topics in sports this past week. So let's get started, gentlemen. Now, going right back to the topic we just we just discussed, this whole Randy Moss situation, is it me or, or does this seem like a fantasy football team move? Who picks up? A top-tier wide receiver hangs on to it for four weeks and then drops him to waivers. What kind of a what kind of a move is that? What's the possible motivation here? You don't have a motivation. You have an entire organization that's completely out of whack. You're starting a quarterback who shouldn't be starting right now. They should have Tavares Jackson in. They should be shooting for uh, you know a top five draft pick, draft luck locker. You know one of the def- quarterbacks coming out of uh, college in the next year, but. Randy Moss, they didn't even utilize him. They didn't throw to him. They didn't target him. It's just really shocking in, in overall. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's already getting contacts from other teams. I know the Browns, he would, he would look okay having, being an option here. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of teams interested in him. I, I know a lot of people are looking for him to head uh, back to Oakland, a lot of the Raider faithful. I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up in the AFC West, although a different team in Kansas City. I think uh, I think they could certainly use his help and uh, reunite him with Matt Castle. But uh, ultimately, this is just this is just a really weird move because the the Vikings just traded a draft pick to get this guy uh, to rent him for for four weeks just kind of seems like a really amateur move maybe um you think do you think it had anything to do with their uh with with randy moss's love letter that he wrote to the uh, new england locker room after the game on sunday i actually didn't hear about that (laughs) but that that that's just as interesting Uh, we all know randy moss is a, a character in a sense but I have to, you know, we we can't definitely understate the fact that they gave up a draft pick, like you said. You're you're willing to waste a draft pick in order for a four week rental. You know, now, that's we, that's just insane. Now, Do you know what it round it was? Round, I, I believe it was a third round pick. And when you when you think about that in relation to other sports, obviously major or you know major league baseball and 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 the NBA, well NBA doesn't even have a third round. But in the NFL, third round pick is a good pick. That's a player. Yeah. That's a that's a position that you can draft, uh, you know, shoot a starting quarterback in for crying out loud. Um, so I, the, the the fact that you just trade him for a four week rental is just it's absolutely mind boggling to me. And I guess the only the only thing I can trace it back to is um, maybe Brad Childers never really wanted Randy Moss on this one. Um, obviously, it wasn't working out as well as anybody thought it was. 
going to work out. And uh, ultimately, it's a it's a cut your loss situation. I, I, it's it's just really really bizarre on all fronts. It seemed to me like it must have been something like a cut your loss situation. Obviously, it's when we look at it in hindsight, it seems like we've got a four week rental situation, but. When I was watching the uh, game where Randy Moss is going over and, you know, hugging everybody from the owner of uh, the Patriots to the coach, and, I mean, it really seems to me like there are some things that just from a team perspective, um, he did, it seemed pretty individual. Now, he may have very strong feelings for folks within the New England organization, I know that he said some things publicly when he's talked before and after the game about his feelings towards an organization. But even even if it's not in, even if it's all in good spirits, those types of things sometimes coming out, in my opinion, can hurt the chemistry in the locker room, hurt the chemistry, and and he's kind of indirectly saying, you know, I'd rather not be here. And regardless of the talent level, Sometimes you just have to cut those things out of the uh, locker room before it can, like a cancer, spread um, to others, you know, especially when you're trying to build a uh, team mentality for your, your other players. Sure, and I, and I, and I, think, that, uh, I think that there's a certain amount of um, realization within the Vikings organization that this year is not going to be the year that everyone thought it was. And, and I think when they start making a move to pick up a guy like Randy Moss, that's panic level one. And then when you start releasing him, to me, that's panic level two. Uh, I, I think panic level three is, is very close uh, close uh, behind all this, and that's the level where people like Brad Childress start to see the ax falling. So Randy Moss is on his way out of Minnesota, Carmelo Anthony, in a post in a in a post game press conference, reiterated his desire to make his way out of Denver. I think that uh, I think that while he may not be the most popular guy in Denver right now, Carmelo Anthony, I think, has really taken to heart what happened with LeBron James in the off season and trying the best as he can to make his intentions crystal clear. In, in a way, I think it's almost applaudable that, uh, that Carmelo Anthony is approaching this situation the way that he is. What do you think, Bob? I think everyone who's looking to leave their team is, is definitely learning from the LeBron situation. But, you know, you're, he's still under contract. No matter what he says or what he does, he should be required to, to put his full effort in and play through the season and not worry about this right now. You know, that that's detrimental to, to the Denver organization. As a player, I understand that you, you always want to look for what's next or, or how to better off yourself in winning a championship. But to do it so early, before even the season started, there were talks about this. You, you sign this contract, just play through the contract. I can understand if you're not the star of the team and you, okay, you're disgruntled. But Denver's done everything they've, can to, to, to could to actually put a winning product this is the same team two years ago was you know one or two wins away from the nba finals 
So, now, don't you think, though, in the in the in the best interest of the team, don't you think it's better that he makes his intentions known before the trade deadline, so they can at least get some value in return from him, or, or have an opportunity to, whether they choose to take it or not? And completely shoehorn themselves. Like they're they're a quality team. They're they're a team who, if stay healthy, they can definitely push for a championship this year. I, I totally wholeheartedly agree on that sentiment. Like that that I, I believe I had them top four, and I believe that they're a quality team. To make any type of unrest like this, you're totally throwing that out the window. You're saying that I don't care about this year, and and you're screwing the entire organization while you're under contract. Now, to, to be fair, I don't know that you could honestly say from the – obviously it's very early in the season that, that uh, there's been any lack of effort on Carmelo Anthony's part. And, and I, think with his, I think with his history, um, as, as far as his attitude and his off-the-court antics, um, I, I think in his, in his best interest – would be to him for him to continue to perform to the top level that he can, um, not only for the team of Denver, but to to impress upon his attitude and intentions on any teams that might be interested in pursuing him. I think that uh, I, I don't think we're going to see necessarily a drop off from him as far as his play on the court, but there is always that uh, that potential that. Um, you know his 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 flux, the the flux situation that he's left the franchise in could affect the the rest of the locker room. I just I I think that by making his intentions known this early, it it gives Denver an opportunity to take take stock in their situation. And if if a couple of months into the season, you know, when we're approaching the trade deadline, they start to see themselves in a position where maybe they're not a team that can make a run for the championship, then I think they have enough ample. Uh, forewarning in this situation to move the player, get some value in return, and not have to deal with a situation where they're left with nothing at the end of the season. I would agree with uh, what you just said. I I think that there, it's it's really interesting in that I think that Carmelo is able to separate the two and play to the top of his ability, but I also look at the fact that there's something to be said about at this point he's kind of snubbing the fans now they all know that he's going to be leaving after the season is over at least at the very least but you're kind of you know when it's game three or game four of the season and you're you know making your attentions be known granted from a business standpoint and probably even from the community reaction standpoint it was probably a good thing in what he did, but at the same time, you're kind of writing off your emotional investment in the city of Denver before the season starts. Not that he's necessarily going to play any differently than he did before, but whenever you make a statement like that, you're disenfranchising yourself from the fans, and whether or not that you know sixth man really makes as much difference as they want us to think when they're trying to sell us tickets... I think that ultimately when you disenfranchise yourself from the fans, you're you're removing a certain element where whether he can play to the top of his ability or not, fans are going to say he's not invested in bringing a championship to the city of Denver for this year. And I think it's mainly because of the fact that, you know, kind of like what I look at as, as a Cleveland fan at what LeBron did this year, I almost look at how they went out in the playoffs and, his lackluster performance towards the end of the playoffs 
really said, you know, I really don't want to go any further. I don't want to get even have the opportunity to get a championship because then I might have to, you know, how bad would it look if I have to stick around here in this crappy town of Cleveland and defend that championship, you know? So I'm almost it's almost really kind of a snub in the face in my opinion of him saying, "Hey, I've already, you know, I'll play my hardest, but I'm not invested in the city of uh, Denver, Colorado." No, Bob, that you make an excellent point there with the whole fact that, oh, I'm leaving. I know I want to leave, but how many people leave a team that just won a championship? So I, I, as as much as you want to say that he's in it, that he's playing for it, there will come a point where a crossroads will come, just like this past year. With LeBron, I'm not saying that he, you know, did or did not or had foregone conclusions, but it just makes it easier to leave if there's no championship. But do you think that changes because he made an announcement? I don't think it does. I think that if I think that if he had that in his mind, much in the way that we suspect that LeBron had in his mind, he's going to do what he's going to do anyways. And if that means he's going to cash out at the end of the season and not play in the not play up to his full potential in the playoffs. I don't think that that changes whether or not he let the fans and the uh, the management of the team know. He's going to do that either way. So the way I look at it is if we're going to take a look at Nick Saban and we're going to say, look, Nick Saban lied, 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 and then he left. And we look at, you know, uh, Lane Kiffin and we say Lane Kiffin lied, 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 and then he left. We have to look at a guy who does the exact opposite of that as being somewhat exemplary, in my opinion, because of the fact that he's not, he's not pretending, he's not faking, he's saying what he feels, and if he's going to act on it in the end anyways, then I think it's best that we just know about it up front and the organization has a chance to do something with it. But does that say something about his character that, like Bob said, um, not that you feel indebted to a city if you win him a championship, but why couldn't he say, look, I, I'm going to make my intentions known. I may not be here after this year, but I'm going to do my darndest to bring a championship to the city of Denver. Is it better to lie or cover up your true intentions and then only let them be known at the end and, and kind of pull a fast one on everybody and blindside everybody? So I guess I guess the short answer is, is it better to blindside and maybe enjoy an entire season full of basketball where you don't dash the hopes of people in Denver uh, right off the bat? Or you, you get the idea. I mean, one way you've got kind of whether or not he's playing to his top ability or not, I think you're going to have the passion is going to be lackluster for the fans for the it, when they think that the guys on the court really don't necessarily care to bring that championship to them. So the the excitement throughout the season is gone. So is it worse that for 80 games you have no excitement or you have excitement and we'll call it hope of uh, a championship and then they get dashed at the end? Uh, I don't know who's to say. It's kind of up in the air as to whether or not you're somebody that uh, you know wants to enjoy it and and kind of go with the ignorance is bliss. I mean, I think a lot of fans, if you look back at the Cleveland situation, a lot of fans in Cleveland um, went along with ignorance is bliss. Nobody really evaluated the fact that LeBron was going to leave until the last game where Boston put him out of the playoffs last year, I think. And uh, then it hit really hard. But 
you know, at the same time, if we would have done that earlier in the season, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed the season as much. I wouldn't have got hurt as much either at the end of the uh, year, but I wouldn't have enjoyed it uh, as much as I did throughout the year. To be fair, though, I think if I think if 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 in the Cleveland situation, LeBron had made his intention to know, and let's say Dan Gilbert decides that he's going to package. Uh, he's going to package LeBron in a trade deal with the, uh, I don't know, the New Jersey Nets for a package like, uh, you know, uh, Brooke Lopez and a, and a pair of first-round draft picks. I think in the end you end up with a, with a Cleveland organization with a more exciting future and a fan base that's more excited to see what's happening because they've got a prospect, especially when you're talking about a high draft pick like the Nets tend to get. Uh, you, you, you've got prospects in what you could possibly get out of this as opposed to being left with essentially nothing, which is which is what happened in Cleveland. I, I think if you're going to try to trade a superstar one, you're never going to get a value back for him that, that you expect just because, one, the contract's so high, and, two, there's so many working pieces to go along with that. Even if they did get a, a Brooke Lopez and two first-round picks, those two first-round picks aren't going to be any you know, anything worth more than anything because LeBron's going there because they wouldn't have traded for him if they knew he wasn't willing to actually go there. Um, e- either way, the, the, this whole LeBron thing, the whole mellow thing, it's just not a win-win situation for any of the athletes. They should kind of downplay it and, and just let it go in the off season and, and talk about it then and just focus on basketball. Cause that's, that's what they're paid to do. They're folk to play basketball that they're on these contracts. I, I I know as a fan, it, w- it was tough to get blindsided like that, but I think it would have been just as tough if he would have said anything at the beginning of the year and we're like, oh, okay, now what? You know, you're, you're always in that, oh, we have to wait for next year mentality because he's not going to try. So it, it, it's, it's a tough situation to be in, and I, I don't, I'm thankfully not there. But as an athlete, it, it's, it's definitely a lose-lose proposition for them. I think I, th- I certainly think it's fair to say that in, a, in an ideal world we wouldn't have any of these situations. Um, no, no Carmelos or LeBrons would make decisions before the season starts about whether or not they want to stay in a team. They would they would ride it out to the end of the season, um, and and we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I think in a, in a real world where these things do happen, uh, I, I just I I think that knowing about it and making your intentions known at the beginning is is the way to go especially when you're talking about, uh, you know, a fan base getting their hopes up. No, the only thing that I was going to say, I guess, you know, we've come back to a lot of different topics like this, and I, I come back to it's really today's athlete. In my opinion, I think the biggest thing that I miss is a loyalty. We, we can be loyal to the city we live. We can be loyal to the workplace that we work. I don't think that these guys necessarily have to show that loyalty anymore because they're loyal to the paycheck. They're loyal to, you know, in this in the case of like the what went down in Miami, um, building what they want to build, having the experience they want to experience. They've, you know, a lot of these athletes we've alluded to in the past, they've been sheltered from real world consequences and not only consequences, but the things that really are important. And I think that loyalty is one of them. And, you know, I can't necessarily um, 
put myself in the situation like some of these superstar athletes where they're in a place maybe they don't necessarily want to be there but I know that just in general wherever I'm at whether it's a job whether it's you know a position I'm in wherever I'm at I'm gonna give 100 percent to that place and I don't think that you necessarily are showing any more or less um, guts or chutzpah or or even care for the organization by opening your mouth where sometimes when silence can just be better. I think it's early enough in the season that silence could be better. I mean, if we're talking 20 games in, 30 games in, it's a different story in my opinion, um, especially once they've established where this team is going. Um, even if they go on a really, really hot streak or don't, you know, don't lose hardly any games or have a more stellar season than we even think, you know, letting your attentions be known after people see what this team is going to do, in my opinion, is just a little better. In my, You know, whether or not he said it is not the issue to me. I just think it's the, the timing on this whole thing. When you're three or four games into the season, it's just too early. Sure. It's, it's something that's happened before. Unfortunately, it's something that's going to continue to happen again. I mean, I, 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 look at, um, I look at the situation that's going on with, uh, with Chris Paul in New Orleans. I think it's a, I think it's a really similar circumstance. Um, although Chris Paul is now doing and saying all the right things to indicate that he is committed to the fans of New Orleans. But if it comes down uh, to free agent time and that turns out to be not true, I think, uh, I think in the end you'll look back at these scenarios and say that uh, uh, Carmelo Anthony was the one who was being more honest with the fans and, and something that the general, maybe not the Denver Nugget fan, but the fans around the NBA in general, will have a much higher uh, opinion of the way that he handled himself here. Well, the the situation might be a little bit more up in the air, though, in Denver. I, I don't know. Um, your thoughts may be different on that. But uh, in my opinion, I think Denver has more of a chance than, you know, the team that Chris, Chris Paul is with. I mean, and he can – well, also there's there there can be a level of uncertainty. I guess whether or not – Carmelo is certain of his future and whether it's not going to be with the the Nuggets or not I just I think it's too early for him to to you know show his hand you know I don't know it's it's one of those things where Chris Paul can always come back and say hey this is how I really felt you know and you know circumstances change circumstances are allowed to change how you feel too you know, and so Chris Paul can always come back and say, "Look, it, we didn't do as well as I thought, or things didn't line up the way that I hoped. I'm sorry for that, but this is how I did feel, and this is how I now feel." You're allowed to, you know. There's nothing ignoble, in my opinion, about changing your mind about something, especially when you've got new information or new situations that come up. So, um, I don't necessarily look at that as as I wouldn't look at that as anything worse because of the fact that I think there are still a lot of variables in Chris Paul's situation that, uh, you know, have to play out before he really, you know, can make a good decision. I, th- I think that the, there's still a question mark there. Now, speaking of, uh, speaking of players who are no longer with, uh, no longer mentally in the game uh, the way that they should be, um, Allen Iverson has, has had his share of, trips around the league for her for similar reasons with disgruntledness with his team. Now he finds himself playing in 
Turkey just signed a two-year deal to play over there, um, although he may be seeing a little bit more activity from his former teammates in the NBA as they are looking to expand their presence over in Europe. That being said, I believe we have two games on the slate uh, for the Toronto Raptors to be playing in London this year. We had several games in uh, against CSK. A Moscow, if I if I said that correctly, in the preseason, the NBA appears to be expanding uh, or or have its eyes towards expanding a much pre- stronger European presence. Presence, uh, uh, something I find a little odd from a league that derives so much talent from Europe. Uh, the reason the reason why I kind of suggested this to a point article is the fact that I remember a while ago. David Stern talked about a 10-year strategy about being over in Europe. Well, he said the same exact thing, uh, I believe, the past week. About, you know, 10 years, he sees the NBA over in Europe. It, it's funny how, how quickly 10 years pass, <laughs> other than the fact that I remember the first comment he made about it. But we are definitely seeing more of a globalization of the game. But you're talking about especially in the NBA, we're always about the deficit, about how these owners are talking about losing money constantly year in and year out. And financially, I just don't see Europe, even if they add six teams, which is sort of talked about, or an entire European division of another 15 teams, one, you're diluting a lot of talent. At that point, you might have to start taking EuroLeague teams, but it, it just seems a little far-fetched financially for any of this to happen. Don't mind the, the games over there. That's fine. You know, it's all about expanding your, your market. Uh, but again, financially, it just seems ridiculous. I wonder how much of that is just based on the fact that David Stern is starting to feel like his potential earning is, is plateauing here in the States and he wants to bring another country's currency into play, um, and, and that's why he's looking over there. I, 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 I agree completely that when, you, when, you're talking, when you're talking about cutting 30% of your league salaries or you're talking about contracting up to or as many as four teams on the one side of your mouth and then on the other side of your mouth you're talking about uh, expanding into Europe, it, 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 it's definitely a mixed signal that uh, is, I, I think might even be a little bit dangerous um, when you're attempting to hold your cards and play your hand in the collective bargaining agreement that's uh, hopefully coming up in the next year or so. Yeah, I, again, in this article I was talking about how he was talking about teams taking like five-game road trips over to Europe. It, it sounds really cool. You know, honestly, it, it seems really nice. It would be a, a cool adventure from a fan point of traveling overseas to watch a basketball game with your NBA stars. But I, I think if they're going to have some sort of actual integration with, with Europe, you're kind of seeing it with the preseason stuff. But have like an all-star game where, you know, we, we take some of our players in the NBA over and play some of the EuroLeague teams or have a best of the EuroLeague team versus the best of the NBA. I know, I know it's not going to be maybe not as competitive as it could be, but I'm assuming there's some way that they could actually work it out to make it a little bit better that way. But if, if they're, they are actually going to expand that way, it, it's going to be more of 
a almost soccer idea of how they do it, where they have the different cups around the world, almost even like the World Baseball Classic or, or even the uh, kind of how they do it in the World Basketball. You know, it, it it's going to be something not during the season. It, it's going to be sort of off on its own. Yeah, so for certain, uh, the the MLS has been doing this for some time where, you know, uh, Real Salt Lake might bring in Real Madrid uh, for a little a little friendly matchup, and I and I think that's all that's all good and that's all fun. I I, I think one of the reasons that Major League Soccer is insistent on doing things like that is I think that they're more fully aware that the level of competition over there in the Premier League is is significantly better than than what we have here in the states. And you bring teams over there because the way that you, you, you the way that you get better is by playing against people who are better than you. Uh, when we're talking about basketball, that's certainly not the case. I, I, I think a lot of times when you're looking at the best teams overseas and you're smashing them up against some of the worst teams in the States, that's when you start to get competitive. But to, to, assume, that, uh, to assume that all of the NBA can play against Europe and get better because they did it, I think would be a, would be a mistake on our part. It's, it's got to be something that's financially driven and nothing else. Now that being said, football and the NFL has has uh, made a uh, concerted effort to have more games played over in Europe as well. Um, I don't think there's I don't think there's any way that uh, the the NFL is thinking about expanding over to Europe. I mean, after all the failure that the NFL Europe League was already, uh, what what what's the thought process going into that? Uh, I. I just think the whole NFL thing, it, the whole Wembley Stadium idea that this is the third year in a row that they've done it is a cool concept. But, <laughs> again, it's going to come down to finances. I know the NFL is definitely better than the NBA in, in that instance. I don't see it as maybe maybe long term that they might do that, even uh, when they've gone to Mexico City. I don't, I don't mind that at all. You know, it, it adds a little excitement to, to the game to play in these different stadiums, get the market out there more as as actually making more fans of the game, bringing more revenue in. But that that's tough. That's really tough to do overseas leagues. Yeah. And, and I think, to me, the NFL seems almost like it's a little bit less fair to the teams involved because when you're talking about – uh, when you're talking about the, I believe it's the New Jersey Nets and the Raptors who are playing two games in London in March. Uh, when you're talking about those two teams, each one of those two teams is sacrificing one home game out of their schedule, which is one out of 41. So you're you're talking about a, not a significant loss. I think when you're talking about an NFL team playing a game overseas and giving up one of their home games, that's one out of only eight home games they're going to have all year. So you're already significantly uh, decreasing the home field advantage and what it brings to their, their, uh, their season and, and overall schedule. Um, but I, the thing that just kills me about the NFL in Europe is that whether it's intentional or not, we just never seem to be able to give them good games. I mean, we, we, we had the, the Arizona versus San Francisco in, in Mexico. That was uh, 2005. Um, Arizona destroyed the 49ers, 31 to 14. 
Uh, back in 2007, we had a New York Giants team that at the time was not very good, playing against Miami Dolphins team that was even worse. Uh, 2008, we had San Diego and New Orleans, which was a good game as far as the the offenses were concerned. So maybe that's uh, maybe that's a one for five scenario. Uh, 2009, the Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Seriously, and 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 then you know this year, uh, Denver versus the 49ers. Just a lot of, to me. Just it's been a lot of bad football teams that we sent over there. If we're expecting to build a brand or or to popularize a sport in Europe, isn't the best way to do it by sending your best teams, not some of your worst? Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. Even even if they did an All Star game, I, I think that would be the Pro Bowl. If they move that around instead of just playing in Hawaii, playing in a Mexico City, playing in a London, playing in a Germany playing in an Italy or France, that would be kind of cool. Uh, I, I know I have a, a friend who actually travels around with a U.S. football squad, and they go around and, and play football. But he's you know, not even an arena-type guy. So they do have teams over there. They're just not anywhere near or even close to what it is in America. So seeing any actual game, I, I know that the – the 49ers and the Broncos aren't really that great of teams, but that wasn't a bad game. You know, it, it definitely came in down to the fourth quarter, and the, and there was some general interest in, in that. Un, 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 you know, unfortunately, you're going to have those games where they are lopsided. We have those stateside. It just depends on matchups and injuries and and playing conditions. So I, I, it's really tough unless they have like a dome, you know, stadium to put forth such an exciting style of football overseas yeah we're not even we're not even mentioning the the incredible incredible matchups that we have when we move the you know buffalo bills to toronto <laughs> i guess i guess that's not overseas but it's still outside of the united states and and uh that's been rather woeful um it's just in just in the matchups alone but uh, yeah, I don't know the the NFL Europe to me. It's it's a great idea. I actually kind of like the idea of of doing uh, NFL in Mexico even a little bit more. If we could expand the league into the you know the countries to our north and to our south, if if we could you know get uh, get American football instead of that Canadian football stuff going up north and and you know, I mean for crying out loud, Mexico City is. I believe isn't Mexico City the most popular, most populated city in the world? Uh, it might not be the world; it might be in the, the Western Hemisphere. But either way, it's uh, it's a huge city, and there's there's enormous opportunity for growth there. I just don't think that logistically um, the NFL can operate uh, halfway across the globe. And and I think the NBA is is in a similar similar situation when you start talking about the cost of traveling and bringing teams over and back and and whatnot. I, I just uh, fundamentally I think when it comes down to dollars and cents, the amount of money that you're bringing in doesn't necessarily cover the cost that's being uh, incurred incurred by you know teams that already exist in the United States and the travel that they have to they have to commit to back and forth. Yeah, no, I I wholeheartedly agree. Either of these organizations, whether it be the NFL or the NBA, do expand it that way. It's going to be in some time, and it's going to be at a huge risk. That's why that's why Major League Baseball has it figured out. 
because what they do is they have an entire series that involves the entire world, but they do the whole thing here, and they only use arc teams. Um, which, <laughs> how it ever got named the World Series is a, is a bit of a joke, because while the Little League World Series is, is certainly inclusive of countries other than our own, the, uh, the Major League Baseball World Series is really just the United States Series, and it's... It's it's uh, actually officially over as of right now, and the San Francisco Giants are our World Series champs. Color me shocked, you know. Uh, it, it's funny of uh, this entire series. They were talking about how it was going to be Texas's starting pitching, Cliff Lee, and their bats that were going to carry them possibly to a World Series. And here we have the exact opposite. It's the San Francisco pitching. And the Giants bats. So, as exciting as this is, San Francisco must be going crazy now after the 56-year drought of winning in baseball. It's even more than a 56-year. It's a, you know more than a 56-year drought when you consider that the last time they won it, they weren't in California; they were in New York. That is also true. So that that's good for uh, baseball in a sense that hey, there is baseball in other places other than New York, Chicago, Boston, things of that nature recently. I'm trying to see if I can look up somewhere to see what the betting odds were before the season started. Uh, if you took the San Francisco Giant, uh, what your payout would be. Back, back to the baseball, it, it's kind of intriguing. You know, Cliff Lee, he was 7-0 and at one point and then loses his next few games. So it, it'll be interesting to see how he hits the open market. Yeah, I think I think uh, to me one of the most interesting things that's gone on in this the the the, the latter part of this postseason is the way that Tim Lincecum has been overlooked. I know that he did not have the stellar uh, regular season that he had the last two years, but you have to remember the last two years this guy won two straight Cy Young awards. We're talking about a pitcher that is at the top, at the top, top, top echelon of the league, and he's one that uh, is is always going to be considered uh, an automatic win in the lineup. But the, the the thing that I find interesting about it is when you look at when you look at the um, the last four matchups that Lincecum's had in the postseason this year, when you've got a pitcher who won two back-to-back Cy Young, and uh, he goes into he goes into four straight postseason matchups as the underdog of the pitchers, and he's outperformed Roy Halladay twice, and he outperformed Cliff Lee twice. I think that's impressive. Oh, you you definitely can't overlook that, just as you can't overlook the entire San Francisco offense. It it seems like it's such a ridiculous statement when you think of this team as an offensive team because they really, you know, you don't have that big name. Cody Ross is your big name. Pablo Sandoval, you know, still a young guy, you know, a good hitter. They just got it for every night from a different group of guys. Sure. I I think it's the epitome of building a, a... team organization, especially after the fact that they, they were pretty much known for the past 15 years as Barry Bonds' team. Sure, and uh, of course the, the news coming out this week that Barry Bonds wants to come back to uh, San Francisco as a, a hitting coach. If uh, if I'm him, I, I want to come back to San Francisco as a hitting coach. Who doesn't want to get a, get a job with the defending world champs? 
Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's in the best interest for San Francisco. I think they just need to let it go. Uh, I think Bonds might be looking at more of a, uh, hey, I'm going to try to build my reputation back up. Well, you know, to be to be fair, if there's one place that he can go and and get along just fine at San Francisco, he he got the standing ovation when he was there doing his. Uh, Opening pitch. Uh, whether I don't recall if that was in the series or the or the NLCS, but uh, you know, threw out an opening pitch and got a standing ovation. I, I think the fans of San Francisco have really appreciated what he's done for them over the years. He actually, if you recall, uh, a few years back, I believe it was 2006. Maybe it was longer ago than that, 2003. Um, but uh, he had uh, he had them on the verge of uh, and on the verge of a, a World Series championship back then. So uh, I think this is a fan base that appreciates what he's done for them. By the way, um, since there's a little break here, I was looking up the odds as of April um, when the Major League Baseball season started, and the San Francisco Giants were at thirty to one their odds to win sharing that same uh, odds with the Arizona Diamondbacks, Florida Marlins, Cincinnati Reds, and the Detroit Tigers. So just thought that was interesting to bring up. Yeah, where's my, where's my hot tub time machine when I need it? <laughs> well, I, I, all in all, I'd have to say absolutely congratulations to the San Francisco Giants. You did what nobody thought you could do. Um, I know that uh, I know that I personally, even after witnessing you guys uh, do what you did to get into the postseason, immediately wrote you off as being incapable of knocking out a team like the Philadelphia Phillies. Even after you took a 2-1 lead, I came on the air and said, there's no way Philly's going to win this series. They've got the experience. But not only did they prove us all wrong there, they came out and they beat the team that appeared to be the team of destiny in the New York, in the, uh, the New York Rangers, in the Texas Rangers, and uh, really showed the world uh, what, a, what a baseball team they've got out there in San Francisco. It, it, it's such a, it's, a, it's actually a pretty cool thing because when you look up and down the roster, it's really a bunch of guys that that uh, there's not a there's not uh, there's not a player on that roster that. Either you know their name because they played for a different team last year or the year before, or you don't know their name because they were playing in the minor leagues last year. So it's really cool to see a team that's that's come together with such hodgepodge pieces and and able to to go the distance and and win a World Series title. And and I, I, just kind of an interesting observation: the way that this whole thing played out kind of reminds me of the Colorado Rockies a few years back in, 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 the, in the World Series and just getting, in that case, it was swept by the uh, Boston Red Sox. But they were kind of like the Rangers this year where everybody just looking at it said, you know, this team's got incredible momentum. They're, they're winning series against teams that they've historically not done well against, and they just really look like a team that's, that's destined for greatness. And then they, they hit that team that just does things a little bit differently in the World Series, and, uh, and, and they lose all their mojo. It's, uh, it's kind of like uh, it's a cool story, but it seems like it's a movie we've seen before. Always good to see a movie with uh, new starring roles, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and this may, this movie may actually have been a remake of Major League because I, I, I think uh, I think I could have pictured the Wild Thing coming out of the bullpen in uh, in uh, Game Five. Like I, I could have seen that happening. All right. Well, we're looking forward to Major League Baseball next year. It's only what six months away, maybe not that much. 
baseball has an off season, I sometimes forget. Yeah, it does. Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please send us suggestions on how we can improve the show and your comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. Thanks for listening, everybody. I want you to fans to know, everybody in the locker room, I truly miss you, and I've enjoyed your organization. Oh, wait. This is the New England Patriots. Sorry. Joe Montana? <laughs>